Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by Swine Tech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by the National Pork Board, Johnsonville Foods, High Pork Genetics, Minitube, Brenneman Pork, Fibro Animal Health, Swine Robotics, Innovative Heating, and PigEquipment.com. Brought to you by American Resources. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rota, your host for today's episode. Today, we're joined by Michael Formica to talk about Prop 12. And we're really excited to have you here today, Michael. Uh, Prop 12, the hearing of it is weeks away. Can you introduce yourself and your background and tell us what you do today? Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me on. I am, they just changed my title this week. I'm the Chief Legal Strategist for NPPC. Congratulations. well, thanks. I'm not quite. I'm not quite sure what else that you know, that that requires. But um, in all other I, duties as needed, right? <laughs> yeah, it was pretty much in all other duties as needed. Anyway, I'm a I'm a workaholic. So if there's something that needs to be done, you know, uh, you, you do it. And uh, you know, this was sort of one of those areas that needed to be done. Uh, you know, the industry was engaged in, in fighting this reputational management. Uh, campaign, and I'm sitting there as a lawyer going, ah, well, there, there's another way to do this. And, um, you know, saw, you know, saw a path to, especially with Prop 12 and, and before that question three to, uh, to push back. And, uh, and so that's, uh, that uh, amongst everything else is, you know, primarily what I've been doing for, for three years or four years. Awesome. Um, yeah. So I do, you know, I do other administrative. Other uh, administrative administration things here in, in DC for uh, NPPC. Uh, a lot of regulatory work on trucking environment. Uh, if there's activists involved, I seem to end up uh, battling them. So what 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 brought you to this industry? What brought you to battling the activism side of things? Like, oh, I I grew up in uh, in New Jersey and. Uh, so you know, I can't, I can't grow anything. I I, I hunt. <laughs> I might see the animals behind me. You can harvest. I I can harvest, but uh, there you go. What, you know, we tried to grow. Um, we tried to grow a rugula once. <laughs> I was a kid because we're Italian, and and it was a terrible failure. And that the the deer came in and ate it all. The the, the rugula survived. The deer the deer ate. Um, but my uh, my family had a uh, manufacturing. Uh, business, uh, you know, multi-generational family, small family business. And, um, you know, as a kid, the, I didn't really have an interest in, in, you know, I worked there a lot. I worked on nothing, nothing gives you a work ethic, like being, you know, 14 years old, 13 years old and being stuck on a bottling line with people who don't speak a word of English, uh, in, you know, hundred degree, uh, weather outside and you're in an unair conditioned factory. Yeah. Uh, Watching the seconds tick by, like, oh, I don't, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, so that sort of motivates me. Uh, but the, the thing that would keep my father from at work late at night all the time wasn't 
work-related things. It was always, um, you know, environmental regulators or uh, or OSHA regulators and um, like regulation, you know, regulations that didn't make sense. Uh, he got fined once. Uh, he got a, a significant fine once um, because they had a rail line that went in, and he had to have a sign and it needed to be painted um, baby blue. And it turns out, and so he went and he painted the sign like the regulations required, but turned out to be the wrong shade of baby blue. Oh, no. <laughs> so they they find him. And then there was a fire once, and uh, they they tried to hit him with uh, uh, a few hundred thousand dollars of uh, air emission remediation. All that burnt up with boxes. But the, you know, the regulators come in, and, and they're always overhanded. And, uh, like, I'm looking at the law, and I was in college at that point. I said, this doesn't seem right. Um, you know, may, maybe your lawyer's not looking at this the right way. And, you know, lawyer said, Oh, I think you got that. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> maybe you ought to go to law school. So I went to law school, ended up in DC doing, um, I didn't think anything about agriculture, but was working at a law firm where we had a large, uh, agricultural, um, clientele and did, uh, start doing a lot of ag work, enjoyed it a lot, enjoyed, uh, really enjoyed the clients more. Um, you know, working for farmers more than just random corporate, uh, you know, your your random, you know, typical random large manufacturer uh, in the U.S. Didn't want to do straight up day to day trial work anymore, and I was trying to figure out what what can I do in D.C. And well, people lobby here, so maybe I'll try to lobby. And and, uh, and then a couple of years after that, NPPC was looking for somebody. Uh, to fill a to fill a role, and um, somebody reached out uh, to me, knowing I had done some work. And uh, um, all these years later, I didn't think I'd be here this long, but I'm still here. It's still uh, it's still interesting work, and uh, and the producers are great people to work for. So, for our topic today on on Prop 12 and the broader conversation around Prop 12, can you talk about what Prop 12 is and why it's unconstitutional? Uh, so Prop 12 is a ballot initiative that passed in California in 2018. It it covers eggs, veal, and pork. Although our challenge to it is only limited to the to the pork provision. Um, it's the uh, it's the latest version of a type of animal housing ballot initiative that uh, the Humane Society and some other animal rights groups. Uh, Mostly funded by, by in, in, in Prop 12's case, uh, mostly funded by a single uh, a billionaire from uh, Silicon Valley, one of the founders of Facebook. Um, you know, Ellen DeGeneres, you get some Hollywood money coming in, but you know, it's a it's a Silicon Valley thing. Uh, you, you'll start seeing effective uh, look for effective altruism, and these uh, these Silicon Valley types are. You're in tech, you you, you might run into these people. Um, it, it was the latest version of something that they've been pushing through, trying to dictate to farmers how farmers should run and operate their farm. Uh, and in earlier versions, especially focused on you know, the egg industry, but also pork, they would go to states where there wasn't any pork production and try and pass a ballot initiative that would say, well, the pigs that don't live here can't you know can't be raised in you know the pigs that live in this state where we don't have pigs 
can't be raised in a certain manner. And okay, okay. Um, you know, nobody, you know, that was it. Um, then they went to Massachusetts 2016 with question three, and they always target this to, um, like a presidential election year. Yep. They, you know, they'll try and key into, uh, you know, heightened, uh, activity on, on, on the base. And they passed something very similar to Prop 12 in, in Massachusetts. Um, and it went one step further. It said, not only can you not raise pigs, you know, in that there, you, you needed certain conditions for the sows in Massachusetts, but if you wanted to sell any pork in Massachusetts, you also needed to, uh, to comply with that. And that was, uh, that was, was a significant change. Uh, it means there's, you know, markets there that are, are going to be cut off. Massachusetts is not a very big state. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it's, you know, for the East Coast, it's big. There's 5 million people or so. Um, and the way they drafted it was there was no citizen supervision. So you needed the attorney general to bring an enforcement action. And they needed to develop regulations to enforce it. And they did, you know, the attorney general had no desire to enforce it. And she had no desire to develop regulations to enforce it. So as long as there weren't any regulations, there weren't going to be any enforcement. Then they went to California in 2018. And when they went to California, they included a square footage, a minimum square footage requirement. And they added this citizen suit provision, which means any any activist or really any uh, any of the large um, plaintiff's attorneys in California could turn around and start bringing enforcement action. And they're not going to sue a pork producer in Iowa. They're going to go sue a grocery chain. And yeah. that grocery chain is going to try and avoid that liability. So they're going to turn around and they're going to force the pork producer to uh, change their operation. And that's really how it's affecting pork producers, right? I mean, can you talk a little bit more about how it is affecting pork producers? And I think for people listening, we're going to even get all the way, we're going to get much deeper than the surface yeah. level. I think we're catching people up to speed here who haven't uh, heard a lot about Prop 12. But how how is this impacting producers? Well, so um, I mean, we, we think it's about $3,500 per south space. Seems to be the, the most recent estimate of, of, of the cost. Uh, you also have to you know, register your farm with um, with California, and you have to allow inspectors to come onto your farm, and they'll give you a certification that you can sell pigs into California. Um, every step of the way needs to be inspected. So not just the sow farm, but any finisher farm. You know, so your your piglets go into a finisher. Now the finishers involved. Interestingly, when the when the animals go to market, the packer isn't. In that chain, there is that because federal law regulates those packing plants as USDA inspectors. So there's no regulation there. But then once the pork leaves the packing plant and goes to a distributor or to a broker, uh, then the regulations kick in again. Now that distributor broker is going to be regulated, is going to be registered and inspected all the way up until the the grocery store. Prop 12 applies to uncooked pork. Uh, and mm-hmm. so initially I'm thinking, well, that's great. Well, you know, we've got to worry about the grocery store, but food service wouldn't be covered. Um, California's taken the position that even though when you go to a restaurant, you order a pork chop or you get a bacon cheeseburger, you know, or you get bacon at breakfast, that's a cooked product that, you know, that restaurant, the food service 
side of it, they're obtaining uncooked pork. And so that, you know, that wholesale um, purchase of, of pork, not just retail purchase. Is going uh. And so farmers are going to have to go um, re- either build a, build a new farm uh, or retrofit their existing farm. You need to you need to provide 24 square feet of space for your sows across the whole herd in the barn. Uh, more importantly, and the 24 square feet of space is, is huge. That's um, a lot of waste space and you know, things just aren't occupying it. But more importantly, and, and I think what's more difficult and where there's the, where I've seen farmers not quite understanding this is the sows need to be able to stand up and turn around. And there are some solutions in the marketplace for that. So electronic um, you know, feeders were not inexpensive, um, but the sows can go in there, not be bothered, but then they can back out. Uh, but when they're backing out and even when they're in the electronic sow feeder, they're touching the side. And yeah. Prop 12 doesn't allow them to touch the sides. Whoa, whoa, okay. So, because I know a lot of groups that have used ESF systems to help make this possible. Are you saying that even if that sow goes into that electronic sow feeding stall to eat, because they're touching the sides and can't turn around? I don't know. That's that's scary for anybody who's built a Prop 12 farm, if that would... If, you know, so, so, what I don't know, and we have asked California, and that's one of my frustrations with these regulations, because they don't... You know, they they're 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 just quiet on that. Um, yeah, that's right. Are you is the twenty four now the twenty four square feet? Does that include that area um, in the in the ESF system, or is it only the area when they back out of the ESF? System? I don't I don't know. Um, that's that that's a real concern. Again, I yeah. don't think California is going to bring that kind of enforcement action. Um, but like I mentioned, there's a citizen suit provision here. And so maybe you have HSUS, you have Mercy for Animals, you have direct action everywhere doing this. Um, you know, under you know, you think about all the undercover footage, they get somebody to go in and say, ha, look, the animal's still touching the sides. Uh, yeah, it's, it's still in a stall. Yeah. It it's it, it it's setting them up for uh, you know, the next round of next round of attack. Um and you know, if you look in in Deep, deep, deep into the weeds of you know of the documents California just released when they finalized the rule. Um, you know, our question to them: Well, can you provide more clarity on this? And they simply say, well, "We can't provide legal advice." <laughs> okay, how, you know how did how does somebody make that investment? Um, you know, and know what they're doing. Yeah, so the people writing the law and enforcing the law can't provide advice about the law. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. if we go a little deeper into Massachusetts question three and prop 12, what are some of the similarities or what are some of the vast differences you hit on a couple, but are there more? Yeah. So, so the, the, the big issue is really that, you know, if you think about somebody who's already got a group house system, um, you know, it's that point post weaning of a piglet while the sow is recovering from her pregnancy, you know, she's, she's, you know, eating, drinking, resting, recovering. Uh, she's going back into her cycle. Um, and then you breed her. And in most, you know, even on almost all, you know, group house systems, you are going to 
keep yourselves in some form of individual pen for that recovery period until you can confirm she's pregnant. And Prop 12 and question three eliminate that. You've okay. got to have them being able to stand up and turn around without touching the sides of the enclosure. Um, where they differ is California requires minimum of 24 square feet. Massachusetts does not. And, you know, the other big difference is, uh, two other big differences is Massachusetts was, law would not take effect until regulations were developed. And enforcement rested only with the Attorney General. In California, Prop 12 took effect, um, you know, took effect on its own. This The statute stood on its own and didn't need, um, regulations were required to be developed, but the, if those regulations weren't developed, the statute was still going to be in effect. Uh, the, you know, the other, the other thing is the, you know, some of the language went into effect immediately. Some of it went into effect uh, January 1 of 2022, so this uh, January. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there may have been a, uh, a week or two where uh, Prop 12 was actually in effect. Um, CDFA and California Department of Food and Ag um, provided some guidance to get around, get around that. And then in January, we had a state court uh, in Sacramento, um, actually issued an injunction against CDFA enforcing Prop 12 on for pork against uh, anyone in the in the supply chain. Where does NPPC stand on the road to the Supreme Court? Case is fully brief. Um, we filed our last brief September 7th. We okay. have. Can you uh, talk about? Can you talk about that? For I'm, I'm sure there's many listeners that don't sure. know what that means. Sure. So we 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 sued California in late 2019, and we filed our case in district court. We knew we were going to lose in district court, and you know at the, at that point is a question. You've got a, a, a bunch of options. Um, you know, we could have filed in Iowa, you know, and we spent a lot of time looking at can we file in a friendlier venue. Um, and the the answer kept coming back, you know, no, you can't. Um, why why we, did you know you were going to lose in district court? Because the the um, the precedent. So each mm-hmm. uh, the district court in California falls under the Ninth Circuit, and okay. there was precedent within the Ninth Circuit that said very clearly this kind of lawsuit would not prevail. Um, it was. We we wouldn't have standing to bring it. So there has been precedence on on the front end of this that makes this more complicated. Um, everything every, everything is very complicated. Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's a it's a giant. It's a, a it's a think of it's like a giant three D or four dimensional chessboard. And so you're trying to you're trying to maneuver around what the Constitution says, what the law says. What the timelines that the industry operates under are, um, what the timeline for a court, because sports are not fast. No. Uh, although in Massachusetts, we, we, you know, we, we got a, a judge to respond to us within 12 hours, which is um, you know, in, you know, 
pretty unprecedented. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, what, so what those timelines of a court action are, um, what the long-term timeline to take to, you know, to file an appeal, um, there, there's a lot of things going on. And then layering over that, well, what is, what is, what is the law that's on the books, but what is also the precedent that these other courts have, you know, other court rulings, some of them in the context of animal agriculture, right? This is a case about pigs and sows and how you raise pigs. Um, but oftentimes precedent comes not in a case similar to yours, mm-hmm. but in something about, you know, train lengths or, you know, taxation of, of foods that are being shipped in or, te- you know, whatever the widget is, um, you know, you, you find, you find similar cases or similar fact patterns, uh, in, in other industries. And so California had precedent that was, you know, was, was not favorable to us. Um, but it's so, so there's this desire not to do in California. Um, but if you went to Iowa, Iowa doesn't really have jury or Nebraska yeah. or wherever, you know, they don't have jurisdiction over California. And we would spend, remember I said, you know, timelines of, that the industry operates in. Um, yeah. We could spend two to three years fighting just over whether or not we were in the right court, and we probably lose. Maybe maybe we can get up to the Supreme Court on that question, um, and that's what we'd be talking about now. <laughs> but that still doesn't solve the underlying problem of Prop Twelve. So you go to you go to the district court. We knew we were going to lose, and then you've got to decide what kind of case you filed in the district court because that's going to that's going to influence how the case developed and what our odds of getting to the Supreme Court are. So we know we're going to lose, but maybe we can lose in a way that enhances our chances of success in the Ninth Circuit. Um, we actually received um, we, we received maybe the best panel we could have of judges at the Ninth Circuit who were hopeful. Um, we lost at the Ninth Circuit, which wasn't wasn't all too surprising. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we 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 had we had hope that maybe they would change Ninth Circuit precedent, but there we got two conservative we got maybe the two most conservative judges in the Ninth Circuit on our panel. Um but a conservative judge isn't isn't willing to overturn longstanding precedent, um, especially mm-hmm. by them by themselves. Right. So they they're gonna have respect for that. But we got even though and I think producers don't quite understand this, we got we lost at the Ninth Circuit, but the the decision we got out of the Ninth Circuit when we lost, the the court said, "Well, we have we have pled, so our case described a plausible path to victory, except for the fact that the Ninth Circuit has this precedent, which is at odds with the rest of the country, with every other court in the country, cool. and really the only thing that can you know that can happen to save this injustice that's going on is for the Supreme Court to step in and overturn it. And, oh, and people, okay. I don't think people realize how big of a victory it is to get something to the Supreme Court. That is no it, easy feat. It is. They get it, you know, get 8,000, 9,000 cases. And, you know, I think we're one of, you know, maybe one of 60, 60 or 70 that'll be heard this year. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, it is, it is, uh, it is it is a, a brutal, brutal road to get up there. And it's one thing sometimes cases get up there because 
they're on, you know, it's a contract case and there's a dispute and there's going to be a judgment that, it, you know, some judge makes. And so you appeal it and you appeal it and you end up at the Supreme Court. Um, but to design a case from the ground floor with the goal of getting it to the Supreme Court is vastly more difficult. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot that can go wrong. And so half of my time I'm spent trying to get to the Supreme Court. And it seemed like just as much of my time it was spent trying to avoid the pitfalls that could keep us from going to the Supreme Court. Gotcha. And then so when we you went through district court and everything there, are are you there? Are you physically there? Or who, who is there? No, kind of? because because COVID hit. Oh, yeah. So it was it was it like Zoom or how how did somebody make the case? To the district it, court. So at the district court, we were um, we actually didn't have a we didn't have a hearing. We didn't have trial. Okay. Um, California moved to dismiss the case because <laughs> they had precedent, but we knew that was going to happen. So right. So when HSUS says, "Oh, look, they've lost all these times," yeah, we knew we. In order to win at the Supreme Court, you have to lose before you get to the Supreme Court. So, yeah. all right, we knew we were going to lose at the district court. We lost right away. At the district court. That just means we go up to the Court of Appeals, yep. the Ninth Circuit. And we had a hearing there by Zoom. Um, and I was I was on the Zoom call. I didn't argue it. We have a we've got a outside attorney uh, named Tim Bishop with uh, Mayor Brown in Chicago, who was a former Supreme Court clerk. He's argued a bunch of cases uh, before the Supreme Court. Um, before Prop 12, most people heard of WOTUS. Borders of the United States. That is a thing because of a case that Tim Bishop won years and years and years ago at the Supreme Court. Um, so we so got a good jockey. We've got, uh, yeah. Tim is uh, he's he's not he's not the most animated uh, lawyer. Right? Yeah, so people have this vision of like a Better Call Saul. You know, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what a lawyer's like. Um, Tim is a Tim is a very a, incredibly bright, um, smart, serious. Uh, um, Supreme Court lawyer. Um, there's not a lot of flair, and he knows what he's doing. So, and he has a British accent, which you know, that makes, helps. Everyone, makes everyone sound smarter. So, and he is uh, he has guided us up here and um, done a, done a fabulous job. So, how is the NPPC looking at the prospect of additional state regulations and what producers can do to get involved? So. Regardless of what happens at the Supreme Court, and, and we're feeling um, the, the term I used while we were trying to get up was cautiously optimistic. I think we're we I think we you know we we feel like we've got you know a little more wind in our sails. Um, so if now that we're here, but even yes, if we win, yeah, if we win, what happens? So if we well, if we win. We might win completely, and they might just say this is completely unconstitutional, and that's it. Uh, more likely scenario is we have to go if they overturn the Ninth Circuit precedent, and we have to go back to the district court, and so uh, we have to have a trial down there. But we have a trial with favorable, you know, with a favorable decision from the Supreme Court, and so hopefully we could win that. But we don't know. Right? The, it's going to be based. You know, it, the facts are going to decide what the you know what happens there. Um, and how long would that you expect that would take after winning in the Supreme Court? Is that within the year or not? 
Uh, yeah, not, you know, yeah, not fair. Yeah, uh, maybe you know, maybe maybe a, 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 another year. Justice is not quick. Gotcha. Uh, but but to your question, either way, whether we win or whether we lose, our opponents are are smart. Um, they're savvy. They're incredibly well financed. You know, I, you know this guy uh, Dustin Moskovitz. Luck, he's the luckiest person in the world. He showed up to Harvard and. His uh, freshman year at Harvard, uh, Mark Zuckerberg's his roommate. And so the next thing you know, he's done nothing, but he owns you know, billions of dollars worth of Facebook shares. So and this is the guy in the movie who got kind of screwed over in the movie. He's the, the nice, innocent guy. And so that's the guy who's who's leading kind of the charge here? I'm not Oh, anyways, yeah. The guy there, you're talking there is about. A movie. I, I think there, I don't know if he's that guy. There are, there are a couple of... There were two brothers. Um, there's two brothers who were like Olympic uh, yeah. crew guys. He's not one of them. Not one of them. He's the but actual the, Wink- the co-founder. Brother. Yeah, he's one of he's one of his two roommates. Um, I know uh, you're talking I, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dustin Moskovich, he uh, him and his wife uh, started the Open Philanthropy Project. Um, they, uh, if you've ever spoken to Andy Curlis, who was used to be at North Carolina Pork, he's he's done some deep dives into where all this financing comes from. Um, they you know they pay for all you know they they've got sort of a state uh, they've purchased um, pages and pages of the Guardian uh, newspaper where they just they just huh. use their garbage. Um, uh, he's he's provided the from what I can tell he seems to have provided the bulk of the money for this. Um, but they're, you know, they're well financed. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, they're, um, you know, then they're smart and they've got good lawyers. And so whatever decision comes back, they'll, you know, they'll look at it and they're, they're not going away. And so we almost uh, certainly are going to be facing additional challenges. Um, they're going to go back to states and, you know, and try and pass other ballot initiatives and, uh, we, you know, we will, we will engage them, uh, you know, you know, wherever we have to, because at the end of the day, you know, pork producers, hog farmers want to raise pigs uh, and they want to raise pigs because people need to eat, right? This is about feeding people. And it's great that Nyman Ranch and Whole Foods um, think everybody should, you know, should be paying I don't shop at Whole Foods. So I'm not sure how much they pay for it. More. It, it, it's more. It's more than I pay. More. For. Right. The average. The average Whole Foods consumer is a, a shopper is you know a, a 30 year old uh, you know single female with a graduate degree lives in Northern California and earns over eighty thousand dollars a year. Um, you know the average family in this country only earning sixty or sixty five thousand dollars a year. If you look in California. Not even looking at the average family, just people living below the poverty line. That is the 21st largest state in the country. There's over five and a half million people in California who are below the poverty line. They mm-hmm. can't afford to go to Whole Foods. Right? They're not paying $32 a pound for bacon, um, which is, you know, at one point what, uh, what, yes. Yeah. It, when we get, we'll we'll talk about question three. But at at, at one point, HSUS told a uh, state legislature, state legislator in uh, in Massachusetts that there's plenty of supply 
question three compliant bacon and um they they mentioned they i don't want to mention that brand's name but they mentioned a brand that you know, makes the best bacon in america and it's fantastic bacon um but if you know it's available mail order and it was 32 dollars a pound and so i said yeah they're absolutely <laughs> right um uh, here's it probably link. does taste amazing it probably it, oh, i know it tastes amazing yeah I've, I've had it you know here's a link i i encourage you to go to you know go try and order some they're absolutely right that that would comply with question three and the response we got back was that's thirty-two dollars a pound. Well, well, yeah, that's <laughs> and uh, a couple. We'll take days, the most but... consumed protein in the world, and we're going to take it from a couple bucks. Yeah, thirty-two, fifteen x. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and a couple of days later, we we got a vote in the Massachusetts legislature in the Massachusetts uh, House. Uh, it was a hundred and fifty-six to one vote uh, to delay the implementation of of question three. Awesome. Because when you're right, when legislators finally realize this, so wait a second, you're gonna you're gonna make my constituents pay what? You know, the light bulbs go off, and yeah, you know, we can't we can't have this. People have to eat. At the yeah. end of the day, people have to eat. And we live in a capitalistic society, right? Like we got the free markets. Sure, work their course. Like if you want to pay if for we were, expensive, even if, even if we were a bunch of communists. You know, yeah. <laughs> right. People still need to eat because if the people aren't eating, right, what is what is the communist government fear more than anything in the world is the collapse of the food supply system because that's what that you know, that's when people get fed up. Yeah. Right? They need to eat. Yep. Kids need to eat. Parents need to eat. And they need to be able to afford to buy the food. So what can producers do? They can keep doing what they're doing. You know, they're there. We just had our legislative action uh, conference here in D.C. So we had a hundred, 150 producers out. Um, keep engaging with their legislators. Don't lose hope. I think that's the most important thing. Don't lose hope. Um, you know, if if you go online on social media and you start looking for right, you you're interested in this and you start looking for this. You know, those social media algorithms will feed you what seems like terrible news. And and you could be left with the impression that everybody feels the way HSUS feels, right? Yep. That they're all vegans, and they're not. The vast, 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 vast majority of people go to the supermarket, and they're looking for food to feed their family. Yep. And they're looking for food that fits in their budget to feed their family, and they're very, very thankful. Nobody has, you know, greater standing and respect than farmers who are producing our food. And uh, so do what they do, keep being a, a great example. Uh, and, you know, when the opportunity comes and, and it comes to engage, look for, you know, look for those opportunities at, you know, at the state level, uh, through your state poor council, at the, at the national level, um, you know, through NPPC or through, you know, Farm Bureau has been a great partner in this all along uh, through them, you know, if you're not raising hogs, you're raising cattle. Uh, you you got the same right. You got the same issues. Yeah, uh, th- these people are coming after everyone because they want they want to you know, put in place some wholesale changes to how we eat and how we operate as a country. Um, you know, farmers so, are, farmers are feeding us. Yeah, farmers are feeding us, and they're doing a really good job of it. And they're more sustainable and more successful than we've ever been before at doing that uh, the right way. And they're more efficient, right? We've got yes. you know, 
We've got people leaving rural America, which, uh, you know, they leave rural America, they go to the cities. Well, everyone I know in rural America knows people who've gone to the cities. So talk to them. Talk to them. We had at one point a writer for L.A. LA Magazine, which is like a society magazine. He reached out that I was at home for Thanksgiving, and they were talking about California banning bacon. Is this true? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, he, we ended up getting completely unprompted. This is a guy who, you know, in the L.A. society pages would never, ever write about this issue about on-farm yeah. production. But he he heard about it because, you know, he wasn't originally from L.A. and he's back in Minnesota. And someone says, are you, you know, how, what are you going to do in California? You're not going to have any bacon. And he said, what do you mean I'm not going to have any bacon? And, uh, <laughs> Don't you know, take my bacon. <laughs> take my bacon. You, you know, um, you know that, that, uh, that's great earned earn media opportunity. It is. So I think our hope here would be to reconnect after the Supreme Court hears the case and after they make a ruling and kind of do a, a follow-up on this. But before we go, I'd love for you to share something unique about yourself that most people you work with do not know. Oh, <laughs> unique about me. Um, without being too embarrassing, huh? Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know that there's anything too unique about me. Looks like you hunt. I, I, I yeah, I, I hunt. Um, I got a wife, kids. I got some dogs. Um, I love to ski, uh, although I don't get to ski nearly as much. I, I'm, I'm, I've, I've gained a lot of weight. I don't get to ski nearly as much as, as I like to. But I used to be, I, I used to be a, um, I used to be a very, 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 very good skier. And yeah, um, even in my uh, overweight old man um, phase, uh, you know, I still, uh, I still don't mind going and, and skiing a lot. That's cool. And then last here, what's a golden nugget or a bit of life advice you might share with people who are listening? What comes to mind? Don't don't ever take no for an answer. I keep forging ahead. And, you know, even when even when if if you have looked at the problem of problem and you think you have you know you've got a path forward. If you you know and Test yourself. You've got to be certain. But if you're certain about something, just because no one else believes in you, that doesn't mean you're not right. They're just not looking at the right. You have you. Everyone's got a unique perspective, and you might have found the path forward, uh, 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 you know, a path to new opportunity. And so, don't be discouraged by people who uh, who don't necessarily see your wisdom, uh, because it, hard work, uh, a little hard work, and and a little. Uh, and a little luck, and as my high school football coach would say, the harder you work, the luckier you get. There you um, go. Yeah. Make your own luck. You make make your own luck, and and find your own path, and uh, this, you know, you'll you'll get through this. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. It's been a real pleasure to have you as a guest. All right. Thank you for having me. It's been great. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. 
For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. 